You're tuned in to the Kojo Namdi Show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, it's Kojo for Kids with author Hena Khan. But first, a recent Gallup poll showed that nearly 70% of Americans now support legalizing marijuana, the highest it's ever been. In 1969, the first year Gallup asked this question, only 12% did. This past Monday, New Jersey Governor Philip Murphy signed legislation legalizing the plant, joining 14 other states, and on Saturday, so did Virginia, making it the 16th state to legalize marijuana and the first state to do so in the South. Virginia joins Illinois and Vermont as the only states that have legalized via legislation rather than via the ballot box or referendum, as 13 other states have done. Governor Ralph Northam is expected to sign the bill, which he introduced last month. But when will the law take effect? Joining us now is Eric Altieri, the executive director of NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Eric Altieri, thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Eric, after going through the specifics of this bill, what will legalization look like in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Well, ultimately, um, currently the enactment date, as you said, isn't until January 1st, 2024. Um, But once that date occurs, or hopefully we want to push that up a little if we can, it'll look like it does in all the other states that have done so. We'll have a regulated market with stores that have to get licensed, that have to check ID, can only sell to individuals over 21 with tested product of known quantity um, and will no longer arrest adults for simple possession of a plant. But why the long delay? It won't be legal, as you said, as we've said, until 2024. Why not? Well, um, initially, a lot of this comes around um, how they're going to regulate marijuana, um, particularly in the state. Um, And that's going to involve setting up a new independent agency, uh, the Virginia Cannabis Control Authority, um, that will oversee the regulations and govern the adult use market in the state. Um, We do think that um, it is certainly largely unnecessary to push the legalization of possession out until 2024, Uh, but we do have a lot more chances here over the next several years, um, including this year with the governor or next year during the legislative session, to continue to make those improvements to the bill because we want to see those arrests stop as soon as possible. Let me go to Robert in Alexandria, Virginia, who has a question about this. Robert, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello, Coach. Thank you for taking my call. So, yeah, on that subject, I was just curious, why is it going to take so long? Because so many other states have already done this. So Virginia isn't forging new ground in this regard. Why can't we just look to other states? I feel like it should only take about six months to set up the regulatory control agency and then like about another six months to actually distribute licenses. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Eric, I guess he shares the point of view of a lot of people on this issue, that it shouldn't necessarily take that long. But as you've pointed out, there will probably be opportunities in upcoming sessions of the legislature to change that? Uh, Correct. Um, And, you know, we do say that in in all these new states as they come online. There's no real reason to reinvent the wheel here. Um, We have a lot of other states that have already done this. We've seen best practices. We've learned what works, what doesn't. Um, that they can really follow that lead. Um, but, you know, when we had the opportunity to make Virginia the first legalized state in the South to really bring these arrests fully to an end, um, this is a comprehensive bill that does just that. And, and while we share a lot of folks' um, general disappointment that possessionally um, legalization of possession um, is not getting enacted this year as we advocated for, um, we're going to keep fighting to move that date up um, as, as soon as possible so we end the arrests. 
Um, and then ultimately, we do think as they go through the process of regulations, th- there will be some opportunity to try to move up retail sales as well. Governor Ralph Northam has championed legalization as a racial justice issue, but the Virginia ACLU is not happy with the bill, saying in a statement quoting here, the Virginia General Assembly failed to legalize marijuana for racial justice. Lawmakers paid lip service to the communities that have suffered decades of harm caused by the racist war on drugs with legislation that falls short of equitable reform and delays justice. Eric, how does the legislation fall short of equitable reform, as they suggest, and what could be done to improve it? Well, I don't want to speak uh, entirely for the ACLU, but my understanding, um, much like we are, um, they're, they're very disappointed that the legalization of personal possession is tied to the retail market. Um, I think most advocates agree that is a largely unnecessary step to have, um, and we want to see that justice come sooner than later. We don't want to see justice delayed any further. Um, Because even though Virginia has decriminalized marijuana, uh, we still see uh, racially disparate arrests and enforcement of those laws in the state. Um, So we need to see that prioritized. But there is a fair amount in this bill to like from a racial justice perspective, um, including uh, the expungement of records, which was passed as an additional measure, um, which will allow an individual with past marijuana arrests on their record to have that expunged and cleared so they no longer deal with the collateral consequences. And then next year, um, when ultimately the retail regulations need to be authorized by a second vote, uh, we're going to want to make sure that the tax funding goes to communities that were most harmed, that individuals who are from these marginalized communities most targeted by our war on marijuana are, are stand to benefit from a legal market. Uh, so the fight is not over yet, um, and we want to improve it where we can, but this is still a massive step forward in terms of justice in Virginia. Eric, since it may be some time before Virginia's marijuana law bill goes into effect, can you quickly walk us through the current laws in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia? Absolutely. Well, in D.C., as of 2014, uh, voters legalized possession of up to two ounces of marijuana uh, and the cultivation of up to six plants. So that's completely legal for adults 21 and older. No fine, no crime, no nothing, completely legal. Um, And they're still working there to implement a recreational retail market, but that is running into issues because Congress oversees D.C.'s budget. Um, In Virginia, on the other hand, last year they passed decriminalization of up to one ounce of marijuana. So that's simply a civil violation similar to a traffic ticket with a maximum fine of $25 for up to that one ounce. Um, And that will be the case um, until we can get the legalization bill enacted. Uh, Maryland is still the most conservative in the region. It is um, decriminalization of up to 10 grams of marijuana. Uh, and that would be a civil offense with a fine of $100, no potential for incarceration or criminal offense. Joining us now is Dr. Matthew Johnson, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Uh, Matthew Johnson, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. There's been debate about whether legalizing marijuana can help reduce the use of highly addictive opioids. What do we know about the medical effects of marijuana and what issues uh, it can address? Yeah, there's a a wide variety of conditions uh, where the evidence supports um, either um, pretty substantially or, you know, more in the kind of early, highly suggestive um, uh, stage, but supports um, medical utility. And so it, it, it's clear that there are analgesic effects that are 
you know, speaking to the opioid um, crisis, um, it's clear that, that, that cannabis and the cannabinoids it contains more indirectly affect the opioid system in a way that's not going to shut down your, your brain stem and make you stop breathing. So it's a, a kind of a, a way to indirectly massage the opioid system, which accounts for its just, um, um, you know, uh, greater safety profile by far um, compared to opioids. So to the degree that people, um, you know, could be using cannabis rather than opioids, particularly for things like chronic pain, um, you're likely to see, you know, far less risk. And, you know, certainly there are a number of other disorders where cannabis has also been, um, you know, where there's been evidence suggesting medical utility, um, such as controlling um, nausea, um, that's one. And, and some suggestive evidence for, for certain um, psychiatric disorders. For many suffering from chronic illnesses, marijuana is a miracle drug for them, but no drug is perfect or, or without side effects. What are some, if you will, of the negative effects of using marijuana? Right. So, you know, kind of at the at the top of the list, we, we do know that it's it's impairing. So it, it about doubles the risk of automobile accidents. Now, a lot of folks will say, hey, not as uh, not as much as alcohol. And that's true. So being legally drunk is associated about with about a 14 times likelihood of getting in a, in a wreck. You know, so two is far better than 14, but it's still, you know, double the odds. So that's not good. Um, we also know, of course, everyone will know that it's associated with, with acute, that is when someone's on it, um, cognitive issues of verbal memory, you know, when someone is, is, is actually on cannabis, um, they're, for example, may not likely uh, in certain situations perform as well in, in school, as an example. There are some lingering um, cognitive effects that, that can last about, about a month for heavy users. Um, important to note that those are pretty small scale, though. Like, you're not going to pick this up from someone, you know, by, by just casual discourse with them. And it falls within the range that's, that's considered acceptable for a wide variety of, of medications. So we always have to take risk-benefit ratio into account. I mean, we could have a conversation about the, the, the effects of caffeine that are negative and causing anxiety and insomnia and for people with severe cardiovascular risk. So those are a few of them. And there is some, some, some evidence emerging that there's um, some cardiovascular risk associated with chronic cannabis use for those who are vulnerable. Are a scientist tweets, will there be rules against driving while impaired? I have seen Metro bus drivers come out of the Greenbelt station in a cloud of smoke and just hop on the bus. Eric Altieri, do you know what regulations are concerning Metro bus drivers? Metro bus drivers certainly can't be impaired uh, driving a Metro bus. Um, and every single state, including the ones where marijuana is legal, it remains illegal to drive impaired. And much like other laws, they vary a bit uh, state to state, whether it's a per se limit um, of THC in your blood, which is largely inaccurate, or simple impairment testing. It will always be illegal to be impaired driving under the influence of marijuana, just as it is under other pharmaceuticals or alcohol or even exhaustion in states. Um, You could still be penalized for that. Um, so there's no attempt to legalize um, smoking marijuana and driving and being a risk on the road. Here now is Ryan in Falls Church, Virginia. Ryan, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Kojo. Um, I am a longtime um, alcohol user for about the past 25 years, and I'm in favor of, um, of legalizing marijuana across the board. 
because I think it is uh, a, a travesty that we criminalize marijuana when, in fact, alcohol is by far the more dangerous drug and, um, you know, leads to thousands of deaths every year. And there's no proof that marijuana leads to any death. Okay. Um, we so yeah. we, we got to take a short break. We've already discussed the possible effect on driving and Eric Altieri pointed out that you're not allowed to drive impaired under any with any substance whatsoever gonna take a short break when we come back we'll continue this conversation i'm kojo nan hi it's diane the next meeting of my book club is on wednesday may 31st at 1 p.m eastern I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. We're talking in the wake of Saturday's decision by the legislature in the Commonwealth of Virginia to legalize recreational marijuana. We're talking with Dr. Matthew Johnson, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins Medicine, and Eric Altieri, executive director of NORML, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Here is Lillian in Alexandria, Virginia. Lillian, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, I'm calling because I oppose the legalization of recreational marijuana use in Virginia. Um, there are some very uh, profound uh, side effects that I haven't heard discussed. Um, people be- can become paranoid and angry and emotionally and verbally and physically abusive. And I'm interested to know what your guests say about that. I'll have both of my guests respond to that. First, you, Eric Altieri, do we have enough studies to understand the effect of cannabis on the brain and body and uh, that it could, our caller says, could cause people to be verbally abusive, etc.? Well, um, the fact is, um, while you can always know more, uh, marijuana is one of the most researched substances on the planet. There's over 30,000 published studies on PubMed. Um, That's, you know, where the the official uh, repository of medical studies that are peer-reviewed are. Um, There's almost very little evidence, um, certainly outside of some fringe cases, to say marijuana makes people aggressive or abusive. In fact, in almost all documented cases, it's exactly the opposite. It has far more of a sedative effect and a relaxing effect on on consumers. Um, That's not to say that there won't always be people out there who have some issues using it. Um, It's not necessarily for everyone. Um, but the overwhelming majority of consumers do not show those type of impacts from use. Dr. Johnson, has anyone ever died from using marijuana? Has there ever been a marijuana overdose? There's never been a marijuana overdose that we that we know of. Um, it, physiologically, so it's direct effects on the body, um, you know, cannabis is, is remarkably safe, and so its risks lie elsewhere. So, you know, people have been impaired, for example, and gotten into accidents that have caused their death. And, and, and I mentioned briefly earlier, maybe that for some people, particularly vulnerable to heart disease, that they may have, that, that using cannabis would have, you know, triggered, uh, put them at risk for a heart attack or stroke when they otherwise may, may not have had one. Those types of things are very hard to pin down. You, you can't 
you know, look at any individual circumstance and say, yes, this was uh, directly caused by, you know, cannabis and it wouldn't have happened regardless of cannabis. So, you know, I think it's overstated, you know, when, when, when folks say like no one has ever died from cannabis, but, you know, we can't say that about caffeine or any other substance. I do. Say, I would say, in terms of the aggression, um, something to note is there's there's certainly a well documented uh, cannabis withdrawal syndrome, and irritability is one of the symptoms. So people who are daily users that then go without um, often will experience irritability. But but the scientific data do do not show any evidence for increased aggression caused by by uh, the administration of cannabis that's credible. You'll see studies showing a correlation between, oh, those who use uh, cannabis are more likely to engage in, in this or th- that type of aggressive behavior. Uh, it seems that that's probably all uh, a product of, of common predisposition. In other words, it's by definition or it has been illegal. And so you have a lot of, for example, young males who are the highest risk takers and who engage in, in this type of thing. To, to both engage in aggression and engage in cannabis use. So those types of cor- correlations are, really aren't convincing at all. You have to look to laboratory evidence. Here's Teresa in Arlington, Virginia. Teresa, your turn. Hi. I just want to preface that when I was younger, I assisted in growing um, peyote and drying peyote and marijuana, and it was all legal because it was done for Indian tribes. I'm looking at the Virginia laws now, And there's really no opportunity for the black and brown community to participate in the economic benefits of growing or having a dispensary. What can be done? Because our communities are the ones that are harmed the most. And it seems like this whole law is merely to help very wealthy companies, mostly white companies, to make more money off of the communities. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Eric Altieri, there have been a lot of issues with diversity in the rollout of legal recreational marijuana, haven't there? There have. Um, and this has you know, happened um, not just, obviously, um, in the potential to happen in Virginia, but, but in a number of other states that have legalized. And at Normal, we're, we're huge advocates of equity in the new legal market. We can have targeted these communities, black and brown communities, for decades and, and ravaged individuals' lives and, and the fabric of their very communities and not, and not give them the leg up to benefit now that we're making it legal and just let hedge fund managers, rich white folks, and others take advantage of this market. Um, so we are very bi- big in advocating for that in other states and make, putting that into implementation, and that's going to be a big part of what we're going to be doing in Virginia um, when it comes up for a second review next year um, in terms of retail regulations. Indeed, long, strange trip tweets. Wait until they see the tax revenue collected on, on recreational marijuana sales. It will magically no longer be the devil's weed, just like that. Here is Megan in Fairfax, Virginia. Megan, your turn. Um, hi. Um, I'm calling because I'm very much in favor of being legalized. Um, I had a 20-year-old son who was uh, definitely dealing with anxiety and depression, um, and it, it seems to be a growing problem among um, youth. And my son was uh, got addicted to Xanax. I believe he was probably in high school and, uh, and went on into college. I didn't realize this until probably a couple years in. And uh, you know, he went through rehab. When he came out, he was gravitating back towards Xanax. And uh, unfortunately, um, September 30th, 2019, in seeking Xanax, he uh, came into uh, contact with fentanyl, and he is no longer... Um, and I just feel like, 
you know, marijuana would help in, in cases of anxiety, high anxiety, depression. Um, and also after this horrible tragedy, um, I, before this happened and, and still now, um, you know, I, I have insomnia. So, um, and my, my daughter who lives in Seattle, I've got sisters in California, you know, they gave me a few edibles before. And then finally after about a, you know, about a week of like no sleep after this tragedy, I finally thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take one, you know, and after a couple of hours, it just allowed me some peace to sleep. And so I think there's so many uh, positives okay. to marijuana. Very sorry about your son, and thank you very much for sharing your story with us, Megan. Here now is Charlotte in Falls Church, Virginia. Charlotte, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Um, I was going to ask, um, it's great that the states, that you know, so many states are legalizing, but where does legalization stand at the federal level? Eric Altieri, marijuana is categorized as a federal Schedule One drug, putting it alongside drugs like heroin. That designation has been one of the biggest issues for many states. How do you regulate and tax marijuana when it's illegal at the federal level, and how does Virginia plan to do so? Well, um, as we've seen, you know, since 2012, when Colorado and Washington became the first states to legalize, um, thankfully, the federal government has largely taken a hands-off approach. But that still creates all these issues with being a Schedule One drug. Businesses can't have easy access to banking. There's taxation issues. There's some oversight issues. So our big mission at Normal has been to deschedule marijuana, remove it entirely from the Federal Controlled Substances Act, and then largely the federal government would regulate it as they do alcohol, letting states set up their own patchwork of laws. Uh, we are closer than ever before to seeing that become a reality. Uh, just last year, for the first time in history, the full House of Representatives approved le legal legislation that would fully deschedule marijuana and make this advance happen. Um, now that we're in a new session of Congress with a fully Democrat-controlled Congress, um, we're feeling optimistic of our chances to once again pass the House and have a serious debate and potentially pass the Senate, where we've seen Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has been an outspoken advocate of doing this um, and just recently in the past couple of weeks announced his intention to introduce a new bill to do just that. So okay. we're going to see a lot more movement at the federal level um, in the coming year or two. We only have about a minute left, Dr. Johnson, but same question to you. What are your thoughts on marijuana remaining a Schedule One drug? It's just becoming absolutely untenable for, 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 for cannabis even to remain in the Controlled Substances Act at all, for it to be scheduled in any schedule level. Um, I, I think one of the real problems is um, by keeping the, uh, federally keeping our heads in the sand, uh, we're actually not doing a good job in addressing um, some of the real problems that can come from cannabis use, you know, with states you know, going in all sorts of different directions, with large lobbies okay. being built up, and, you know, okay. we're going to be irrelevant at the federal level, and it's going to be too late by the time we do this. I'm afraid we have to take a break because we've come to the end of this segment. Dr. Matthew Johnson, Eric Altieri, thank you both for joining us when we come back. It's Kojo for Kids with author Hannah Khan. I'm Kojo Nandi. WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.